Our morning scripture is taken from the second letter Paul wrote to Timothy, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse. You will find it printed in your order of worship, and I invite you to read along with me as we share Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Listen for God's Word. You then, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me through many witnesses entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. Share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs. The soldier's aim is to please and to please the enlisted officer. And in the case of an athlete, no one is crowned without competing according to the rules. It is the farmer who does the work who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David, that is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, we will, he will also deny us. If we are faithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. A book written not long ago, simply titled Doubt. Jennifer Michael Hecht writes to give effective arguments against God's existence. She writes, throughout the centuries, non-believers, no less than believers, have always had their doubts about God. One of the ancients that she cites in her book was to have said, if oxen and horses had hands, Horses would draw their gods like horses, and oxen would draw their god like oxen. She also speaks of Sigmund Freud as an apostle of doubt, who felt that the moral effects of religion were less than wholesome. She quotes him, For those who are able to whistle in the dark, it might be better to put religion to bed. 
Philip Yancey, in his book simply titled Rumors, writes, No society in history has attempted to live without a belief in the sacred, not until the modern West. And therefore, we now live in a state of confusion about the big questions that have always engaged the human race. Questions of meaning, purpose, morality. Eliminating the sacred changes the story of our lives. And so we must now learn to live in an alien world that is as deaf to our music and indifferent to our hopes as it is to our suffering. Eliminating the sacred, Yancey says, we exist alone in an unfailing, immense universe out of which we emerged only by chance. Again, Yancey says, dethroning God we still find it impossible to leave the sanctuary empty. And so we put man in God's place, which has had a paradoxical effect, not of elevating human nature, but of demeaning it to the depths of cruelty, depravity, and stupidity unparalleled in human history. What once we called tolerance, excuse me, what once we called idolatry, we now call tolerance. We've swallowed the sweet poison, substituting lesser gods for the God of the Old and New Testament. The new science of evolutionary psychology has arisen to assert that we simply act on our DNA, heralding this insight as the most important advance since Darwin. All of that from Philip Yancey's book simply titled, Rumors. Listen to what Darwin wrote of himself. Up to the age of 30 or beyond it, poetry of many kinds gave me great pleasure. And even as a schoolboy, I took intense delight in Shakespeare, formerly uh, forming pictures and music gave me great delight. But now, for many years, I cannot endure to read a line of poetry. I have tried to read Shakespeare and find it so intolerably dull, it nauseates me. I've also lost any taste for music, for pictures. I retain some taste for fine scenery, 
but it does not cause me the exquisite delight which, is, which it formerly did. The loss of these tastes is a loss of happiness. My mind seems to become a kind of machine for grinding general laws out of a large collection of facts. Isn't that a sad commentary on the supposed advancements of humankind? That's one worldview. Dostoevsky wrote in his novel, The Possessed, the one essential condition of human existence is that man should always be able to bow down before something infinitely great. He goes on to say, if men are deprived of the infinite, they will not go on living and die in despair. The infinite and the eternal are as essential for man as this little planet is essential on which we dwell. Simone Weil adds, one has only the choice between God and idolatry. There is no other possibility, for the faculty of worship is in us, ingrained in us, inbreathed in us, and it is either directed somewhere into the world or into another. John Muir, the founder of the Sierra Club, had a well-developed well theology of nature, hiking through the Cumberland forests of the southeastern United States, he wrote, Oh, these wonderful gardens of my Father! What perfection! What divinity is in their architecture! What simplicity and mysterious complexity of detail. Who shall read the teachings of these sylvan page and the glad brotherhood of rills that sing in the valley and be happy creatures that dwell in them under the leader, tender keeping of a father's care? Now we who call God, Father, Sustainer, lover of our lives. Share John's Muir's view of life. We hear an organ play and the heavens open to us. Singing voices bring melody and harmony to our day. The Word of God spoken and understood gives direction to our lives. Our prayers are said with a sincere belief that they are heard and answered according to God's will. We acknowledge the wonder of our God even in, through our feeble faith. We believe our God invaded history with clear intentions and breathed into our hearts living hope giving us purpose 
and direction. Would you rather believe or doubt? Is God real and alive? And is Jennifer Michael Hecht dead wrong? Where do you go to get the reassurance that God is a loving God? Where do you go to find that sense of certainty? You and I had better not come to God merely from some warm feelings, some emotional warm fuzzies that can lead to introspection and fanatical abuse. We must not come to God because of family traditions. We do not come to God because my parents, 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 parents believed in God. Our belief, our trust, our faith must see the reality and rest on the facts. A hard look and see and study facts. A professor at Fuller Seminary used to say, faith or belief in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit comes when we rest our mind on the sufficiency of the evidences. And the evidence comes from the Bible, the Word of God. The Bible, the Old and New Testament. When I was growing up, we used to sing the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. How many of you have sung that? Wonderful. The Bible the Old and New Testament give revelation and assurance of God's presence in our lives. Sixty-six books put together over a period of 1,600 years, 60 generations, 40-plus authors taken from every walk of life with hardly a theologian in, a bunch, in the bunch. Moses, a politician, raised in the courts of the Pharaoh, Amos a herdsman, Deborah a prophetess, Esther a queen, David a shepherd queen, Joshua a military officer, Matthew a CPA, Simon Peter a fisherman, Lydia a successful salesperson, Priscilla and Aquila, a happily married couple. Paul, a rabbi. Timothy, a young convert. The Bible was written in dungeons and prisons and synagogues and on the hillside of Galilee, written in different times, in, diff in times of peace, in times of war, written in different moods, in times of sorrow. And at other times, its stories penned at the height of joy and admiration of a living God. 
The Psalms celebrated the world in the expression of a person, a masterpiece worthy of praise. Did you know that the Bible was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe? Written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And yet there is harmony throughout. The New Testament quotes the Old Testament over 600 times. There is one unfolding story from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, we have paradise lost. In the book of Revelation, we have paradise regained. The central theme from the beginning to the end is the redemption of humankind through the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, our Savior and friend. In the Old Testament, the law is the foundation for Christ. In its pages, we see the preparation for the coming of Christ. In its poetry, we see the aspiration of Christ. In the prophecies, we see the explanations of Christ. In the New Testament, we see the living history of Christ. And in the final book of the Bible, we learn the consummation of Christ as victor, as Lord over all of life. And so we are those folk who are gods in life and in death. The Bible is unique in its circulation. The first book ever printed, it continues to be the world's bestseller. It is unique in its translations. No other piece of literature ever comes close to the number of translations. It is unique in the accuracy to the original. One half of one percent is the variance of recovered manuscripts. It is unique in the ability to withstand persecution. More people, more kings, more governments have tried to destroy and suppress the Scriptures than any other document in the history of the world. And yet the Scriptures survive. It is unique in its influence on other literature. More books have been written concerning the Bible than any other subject. Jesus did not just appear as some wisp of wonder, but rather he shared his life and ministry based in the Scriptures. When we see the Christ through the eyes and testimony of the Scriptures, we too open ourselves to the reality of the resurrected Christ. The Scriptures give us foundation for our faith. In this lunatic world, with its apparent random and accidental happenings, Jesus comes through as the living Word of God to make sense of our lives. He has convinced us not only by meeting us on the road, on our journey, but in telling his life story. 
You and I come to Christ through the Word of God, the Holy Bible, God's love letter from home base. Beware of those who come selling of some out-of-body or purely mystical Savior. Our faith is not founded on such feeble moorings, but on the living God, on the living Word of God, telling the story of our Savior. Aldous Huxley wrote, Of all the worn, smudged, dog-eared words in our vocabulary, love is surely the grubbiest, smelliest, slimiest, bald from a million pulpits, crooned through hundreds of millions of speakers, it has become an outrage to good taste and decent feelings, an obscenity which one hesitates to pronounce. And yet, and yet it is pronounced, for after all, love is the last word. For God so loved, we are invited this morning to share in Holy Communion. We're invited to this wonderful table of grace. We are invited and encouraged to share in the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Love is here. And our Bible assures us of that. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, how we hunger for the reality of your word. So often we find other things to read and to study and to meditate on, and yet the word of God calls us back as a love letter from home base. Give us opportunity this week, this month, this year, to begin again for the first time, as if for the first time, reading of the Scriptures. For there we find life and hope and love and forgiveness through the broken body and the shed blood of Christ our Lord. Amen.